0: So for this service, we wanted to do something a little bit different. So I'm going to tell you what we're doing here and just take a minute to introduce it. And then Jason, in a minute, is going to come up and introduce some of the other voices that you're going to be hearing from here this evening. How many of you have realized in life that thankfulness is hard sometimes? Come on, show of hands, right? If your hand isn't up, you haven't lived long enough yet. Um, Because there's seasons in our life where thankfulness doesn't just come naturally, that thankfulness can can actually be very difficult. Some of you are in seasons right now where you, that feels like very acute, very painful in your life. Maybe you have something you've been praying for recently, and the answer hasn't come the way that you have uh, were expecting, or you, you, you've it's just sort of a holding pattern, or even the, the answer was no. In in your life, and so you're like God. I don't know in the midst of the circumstance, um, and yet I know in Scripture I'm told to be thankful, and sometimes that's hard. In fact, I don't I I don't know how how that isn't hard. I, we've I've had seasons in my life. We're walking through a season right now with something um, where it's like okay, I'm praying for this, but God is not a- being answered the way we hoped and wanted to see, and yet. I know the challenge in the midst of that is to be thankful and to rejoice. In fact, Paul tells us this in in First Thessalonians five sixteen through through eighteen. He says, "Rejoice always; that there should be a constant presence of joy in our life. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances." for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, if that just sounds like whatever, Paul, how do I do that? Remember this is a guy that it was shipwrecked multiple times, he was shipwrecked, he was stoned with rocks multiple times, left for dead, beaten in jail. In fact, a lot of these letters where he's talking about rejoicing and giving thanks are in jail, in prison. In a cold dark, and not like nice prison with three squares and cable TV. We're talking dungeon, damp, cold dungeon. And yet somehow, Paul had learned through the power of God in his life, through through his experience and his closeness with Jesus, and through the overwhelming reality of the fact that God saved him, a persecutor of the church, he, he, in the midst of that circumstance, could say, I have a great joy, and I'm rejoicing, and I'm thankful to my God. But it doesn't always come naturally. And so today what we wanted to do is share some, some different voices on the theme of gratitude in our lives. And we have a value around here. It's not just pastors. And um, a the theological ter- term for that is the priesthood of all believers, that it's your job. Every one of us is in full-time ministry in life. Um, You just may may not get a paycheck to do it, right? You may not get to stand up here and hold the mic all the time. And so whenever we can, we like to highlight and spotlight some of the other amazing voices and people in our church that God's using and working. And I know God's using a lot of you in our community in a lot of different ways. But as we thought about this and prayed about this and asked some of our friends to share um, some thoughts here today, it was amazing to see the way that God wove together the themes. Because we didn't really have a theme. We're like, I don't know, pick something out on gratefulness, a scripture or two, and uh, we'll see where God goes with it. And God just wove together the themes. And so what I'm trusting tonight is that um, as each of our friends here share, that there's going to be something in this, I think, for each one of us. In
1: this season. So I'm going to invite Jason up, and he's going to take it from here. So um, I I had a chance this week to listen to each one of of our guests kind of do a run through. Uh, And I really want to echo what Tim says, that we really didn't have a plan and the Holy Spirit clearly does. And so I want you guys to to lean in tonight and kind of um, pay attention. My guess is that you're going to connect with one or all of our speakers. I'd like to invite our our first speaker up. Her name is Riley. Um, Riley serves with me in our youth group. She has spoken to our youth several times. She even spoke to our women's ministry uh, last month. And so I think you guys are going to be really blessed. By her talk,
2: I am Riley Wellborn, and my husband Caleb is also on staff here. And we are not originally from Grand Junction; we're transplants from Arkansas. But we really love being here in the valley. We are big mountain people, so we are eating up this mountain life. Um, and so, as we headed into, as we are headed into the holiday seasons, that makes me think a lot of family. And my family growing up was super tight-knit. I have a couple of older brothers that are way older than me, so they were out of the house by the time I was really making core memories. So a lot of my family life was just my mom and dad and my younger sister and I. And we loved to have game nights together. We know just how much we can make fun of each other without bringing out the bear. We uh, were the kind of people who on Friday night, instead of making other plans, we wanted to just hang out at home together because we're all best friends. My family truly was a pillar in my life growing up. And it was until this January when that pillar just disintegrated because one of my parents called me one day and said, I'm moving out. After 27 years, this parent just decided to be done. It was one of those days where in an instant, the whole vision that I had for my future changed. And I am not a child living in the home. I'm not dealing with custody or who am I going to live with. For me, it looks more like wait, we really looked up to my parents and their relationship and now they're splitting up. So what does that mean for me and my husband and what do we need to do to work on our relationship and solidify our relationship and how it, it messes with your head in a way you just never imagined. It means that when I went to visit them this summer, I saw all the same furniture that I grew up with, but now it was in two houses. And for me, the biggest thing is that I will never get to take my kids to grandma and grandpa's house. I guess I didn't realize how much that mattered to me until it wasn't an option anymore. And I begged God to intervene. I begged him because we talk a lot in church about how when you pray and you ask God for things in accordance with his will he answers and we don't talk about what happens when he doesn't because brokenness and selfishness and destruction that is not what God wants and yet he still chose not to come through in the way that I was asking him to and I was so confused and I was so frustrated and I just kept coming back to this feeling of it's not supposed to be this way And I'm right, it's not supposed to be this way. God loves unity and selflessness and wholeness and unconditional love. That is what God wants. And so if it's not supposed to be this way, why is it this way? And I really felt like God was losing this battle in my life when I asked him to come through. But I went to a meeting one day at work. I was working at a church, and the pastor opened the meeting, and he said, I want to start with some victory stories. Tell me victories from this last week. And people started sharing about people they'd been praying for for decades who came to know the Lord that week and sharing stories about kids who were coming to their small groups and asking questions, preparing to be little servants of Jesus, and that's so wonderful. And I realized in that moment that, God is still active, and even when it feels like he's losing the battles in my life, even the ones that really, really matter to me, he's still victorious elsewhere, and even more than that, he is going to be ultimately victorious, and he's going to bring about a day of redemption where he will restore all things, and he will say, this is as it should be, and we won't feel these things that tear at our heart and these things that leave us in pain He's going to restore all of that. Paul writes a little bit about this. He had some experience with trials. In 2 Corinthians 4, he writes, Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal way of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And I just want to clarify that when Paul says momentary light afflictions, he's talking about being stoned almost to death and being beaten publicly and imprisoned and knowing that he would probably be imprisoned until the day he was martyred for his faith. That is his momentary light stuff he's talking about and and this pain that I feel with my broken family it is not momentary it's for the rest of my life and it does not feel light it feels very heavy and very painful and so I want to be clear that I'm not saying in whatever your situation is that is leaving you shattered this year I'm not saying find the silver lining because there might not be one Honestly, we, we might not see the day where we understand how God turned the situation for his work and his glory. We might not understand how he works through it. But our hope is not in the situations that we go through. Our hope is in the God that will restore all the broken things that we have to go through. We will get to a day where We give God eternal thanks for redemption. I want to close with a word from Isaiah. And when he wrote this, he wrote to different people in different situations. He wasn't thinking about Riley in 2022. And yet what he writes about our hope and about our God is eternally true. He says about God, He will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth for the Lord has spoken. On that day, it will be said, look, this is our God. We have waited for him and he has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. I am not thankful for what I've had to go through this year and when when Tim asked me to talk about gratefulness I was like I'm not grateful for this year I had a lot of pain I had a lot of loss I had a lot of grief but that's not the end this icky painfulness it's not gonna last forever it's not the final feeling because we serve a God who is a champion for restoration and for redemption, and that is something that we can be grateful for this year. I'm going to pray for us. (laughs) Dear God, I thank you so much for bringing us together, and I know that we all have hurts, and I know that you know them all, and I thank you that you walk through every step of it with us, and that even when we hurt and we get angry, you don't Turn from us. You carry it with us and you walk beside us. And so I just pray that no matter what everybody in here is going through this year or at this moment, I ask that they would cling to the truth that we serve a God who is ultimately victorious, that we're going to go through trials whether we walk through them with you or not. And so we are so grateful that you choose to stick by our side.
1: All right, so hopefully you have caught a drift of the theme this evening. Near you, there may be some tissues, and if you see them and you need them, wave to your friends at the end of the row. Um, I'd like to invite up our next next speaker, my friend Tad. Um, Tad Saunders uh, serves here, plays drums every once in a while. He's been serving with us and with some other local churches in the Valley for a long time, uh, a long time believer, and I'm really excited
3: uh, to hear your story. I'm excited to share it. Well, kind of. That's right. I don't need the mic. Thank you, John. (laughs) All right, well, good evening again. My name's Tad. Um, my wife couldn't be here tonight because she's working in the ER. It was a great timing on her schedule. Um, <laughs> but when Tim asked me to speak about being grateful, I knew he was asking me to share with you a time in our life that Sylvia and I consider to be one of the most challenging in our family's history, um, the loss of our granddaughter, Nevaeh. Um, Tim called and said, hey, you have eight minutes or so to share this experience of um, uh, why you are grateful in, in spite of um, um, tragic outcomes, so to speak. And while I agreed on the phone and my pastor's request, after I hung up, I thought, eight minutes, Tim? <laughs> I went, crying and pregnant pauses will take all of that time, uh, let alone the few points I want to share Uh, With you, that I think God has for all of us. And the other thing, Tim, is you know, this would have been really good last Thanksgiving, too, because I think there were only two services last year. Um, um, But I understand what you guys go through now. So, anyway, so I'll ask your forgiveness ahead of time uh, for those moments. uh, Bear with me. Uh, I may even ask some of you to come up and Will Smith me, no judgment on him. But just to kind of get me back on track. Um, So I hope I don't distract you with pregnant pauses and a few tears here and there. But if I do, please understand. These are not moments of sadness breaking through. Rather, they're a grateful heart for God's goodness in letting us love this little warrior for a short time. Pastor Bill Johnson of Bethel said during a service in in the memory of his wife, um, the backslider in heart will always judge God by what he didn't do. But those who have tasted his mercy, his comfort, his love will define us by what he has said in his word, by his promises, and what he has done. God says things like, rejoice always. Tim alluded to this at the beginning of uh, the service. And everything give thanks. Pray without ceasing. Why would he make such a statement if life was going to be one big playground or one long vacation without challenges or loss. We know from experience life can be hard. Some of us who are a little bit older can experience that a little more. But Jesus drives home this point in John 16, I have told you these things ahead of time so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. November 22nd, 2016, at 1.17 in the morning, uh, Nevea Grace was born at Children's Hospital in Denver. Earlier that day, Sylvia and I had been notified by our son Caleb that Shannon, his girlfriend, was being air flighted to Denver. Well, at that time, we were down in Tucson celebrating Sylvia's mom's 82nd birthday or something. So we gathered our things, headed north, and prayed and prayed that entire trip. And we knew Shannon and soon-to-be Nevaeh would be a high-risk birth. During one of the early ultrasounds, a malformed heart and a much-twisted pulmonary system had been revealed. At that time, the local OB doctor had recommended an abortion. It was a short time after this appointment um, that got impressed upon me to go and encourage Caleb and Shannon. So I did and basically said, Sylvia and I love you too. I know this is difficult. However, Caleb, you know what God is capable of. And Shannon, I will respect whatever decision you make, but I don't want you to lose hope and do something that you'll regret. They made the challenging but brave decision to carry the baby to term. God had given Sylvia and I a scripture that guided us through this time, and it's Ephesians three twenty. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that's at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. So when Sylvia and I entered the birthing room at Children's Hospital, we were greeted with our daughter, Sarah, holding Naveya without life support. She had great color, she was breathing with ease, just amazing considering her medical condition. Within 30 minutes or so after our arrival, uh, the surgical team came in and took Naveya out to have the first of two open heart surgeries. Our family contended for this little lion for three months. We relieved Caleb and Shannon every other weekend so they could have a break from the intensity of CCU. I had assembled a large group of friends, uh, prayer warriors, to lift up this precious baby, asking God to heal her, give her a new heart and a new pulmonary system. I would text and post Facebook updates. Brothers and sisters would speak back with incredible words of encouragement and promise and faith-building stories. And I'm gonna indulge about another two minutes. One of those stories, when we were over there, there was a housekeeper named Beverly. And uh, on the CCU unit, um, we we were there so frequently, um, I eventually got to have a, a conversation with Beverly, who was an incredible prayer warrior. Um, and on, and knowing that it gave great comfort to Sylvia and I and our family. Um, and, and one of the, one of the times, uh, we were on CCU and walking to Nevea's room, uh, and we were kind of walking with the medical team, um, as they were entering Nevea's room. Well, Beverly was in there speaking in a language that I'm sure the doctors had never heard before. Uh, And while the doctors were incredibly encouraging, um, I was just like, this is just awesome. Um, And suddenly, Beverly realized that other people were in the room. Her eyes got real big, and she goes, I'm done, and kind of walked out. And as she walked past me, she had a big smile and kind of hit me on the butt, and (laughs) I said yes. we believe not what we saw, but by the bigness of who Jesus is. We believed Ephesians 3.20 then, and we still do today. Nevaeh made really good progress after her first open-heart surgery. Two weeks after the surgery, she was released from CCU and moved across the street to the Ronald McDonald House. And it was an incredible step. We were excited and very thankful to be there. Christmas at this house was amazing. Shannon had Nevaeh dressed up to the hilt—I mean, hat and all. It was incredible. The atmosphere was so joyous. Families who had children with life-threatening conditions were everywhere. That Christmas Eve celebration was the bomb. Joy and comfort and peace dripped off of everyone there. The atmosphere really was joyous, and truly it was God's presence that made each of us grateful for that moment. Sorrow and pain and the heartache of what was possibly to come took a very back seat to being grateful for the experience that evening. In late January, Nevea had a second open-heart surgery, and six weeks later, God took our little lion home. <laughs> a month or so later, we had a celebration at uh, Eagle Rim Park on Orchard Mesa. Caleb and Shannon thanked so many people for their love and support for them and Nevaeh, and then Sylvia, my wife, better half, wrote a story as if penned by Nebaya from the other side. It was awesome. Words like, man, you guys won't believe it. These wings are incredible that God gave me. We're ad libbing maybe a little bit to theology here, but um, um, I can fly over mountains and lakes. Jesus is so cool. She then turned her thoughts to those left behind, and specifically, uh, I mean, all of us, but Caleb and Shannon in particular. I know you're sad, but be kind to each other. Love one another, and remember God has big plans for you. Heaven is so worth it. In fact, I now know my name from this view is heaven. Navea's name spelled, heaven spelled backwards is Nevea. In the months after Navea going home, there were, there were moments when Sylvia and I questioned what happened. Didn't we have enough faith? I mean, look at the centurion story. He wouldn't have to be present. Um, Why? God, why didn't you heal Nevea? I don't know. It really is a mystery of how and when God heals and performs miracles. I've seen it. You've seen it. There's not a formula. But God, I want answers. I want to understand why you didn't heal our granddaughter. I mean, I prayed. I had pastors praying, really spiritual people. <laughs> um, once I sent this message out that Navea was taken home, not only did I have a great sense of loss, but the community who had been praying for us in Navea specifically, I could feel their disappointment. It was like air was going out of a balloon, it was palpable. And in my pain, I can remember saying, Man, God, you really missed an opportunity to show how big you are. There were people who didn't believe that this situation would be healed. And I didn't want the enemy to win this battle. Well, as you see, God didn't strike me down. He showed mercy to me. Um, He gave me his presence instead rather than an answer. And truly, answers would fall short of comforting me, Sylvia, and our family. His presence is what I needed. His love and the fact that Nevea was now with him. How could I be anything but grateful that he gave us time with this little lion, to love on, to see his goodness in her, his strength in her, powering her with such a compromised heart. This point was driven home and expounded on during a time of uh, celebration of life that uh, Alice Monroe conducts up on Glade Park. Many of you may know Alice. She runs a ministry called A Wing and a Prayer. Uh, And it's specifically for families who've lost children. And certainly, Sylvia and I would love to answer any questions you may have, uh, if that's a resource that may be of help to you or somebody you know. Um, Anyway, in July, she has a dinner uh, for families who've experienced the loss of a child. And after dinner, we all walk down to her airstrip in preparation for a balloon launch. Each family member can write a prayer prayer or something on the balloon before it's launched into the air. However, before we see the balloons, or know they're even coming, she has a man playing the bagpipes, dressed to the hilt in his kilt. (laughs) It is captivating. I was captivated hearing this mournful kind of sound, but Captivating sound coming out of those bagpipes. I was mesmerized by it. But as he played on, I looked up the runway. Just as three people came into sight a good distance down, carrying a bunch of balloons that later we would all sign and release into the air. God's presence fell so hard on me when I saw those balloons. I could hear his whisper of, Nevaeh will be one of many who greet you in my kingdom. My wise disappeared into a worship of gratitude for his goodness. Levi Lusco, in his book, Through the Eyes of a Lion, writes about the loss of his youngest child. He uses a powerful example of how the male and female lions hunt. The presence of the male lion drips power strength, and his mane only adds to the fact that this is not someone to mess with. The female lion does not have a mane, but blends into the environment a little better than her counterpart. So the male lion gains a position from the front of the prey, while the female stalks from behind. The male lion makes his infamous roar And that roar can be heard from five miles away. It is ferocious. Just the presence of a male lion is incredible. And obviously, the intimidating prey, when he hears the roar, she hears the roar, runs in the opposite direction. I don't want to head that way. I want to go in retreat. Well, what they don't know is while the roar is terrifying, the real threat lies behind. The instincts of the prey to run in the opposite direction leads them right into the mouth or area of the female lion. Going with their gut is the last mistake they make. And so too with us when we have great loss or disappointment. We don't want to face it. We want to move on to the next thing as quickly as we can. I don't want to face pain. It's annoying. It's disappointing, it's scary, it's painful. I get it, we've all walked in it. But the healing presence of God comes as we run to the roar. He uses our hurts, our disappointments and loss as tools for his use to bring about not only our healing, but the healing, comfort and restoration for others to the glory of his name. After all, he is the only one who can turn graves into gardens. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Tad. Um, I'd like to invite up our our third speaker, um, Shannon. And while she's coming up, I wanna invite the band uh, to join us up here on stage two um, because Shannon's gonna kind of round out the night. And um, after that, we're going to have a chance to, to worship one more time. Um, my friend Shannon, uh, we've met in the last couple of years. I get to serve uh, her kids in youth group. And so I, um, I had the pleasure of, of being uh, at a couple of the things that, or one of the things that she's going to talk to you about. Um, and she's had an incredibly hard year. And so I think you guys are really going to be blessed by her story. I
4: don't know if I'm shaped. Shaking because I'm nervous or because I'm freezing? (laughs) I think more because I'm freezing. (laughs) Um, Mark 2, 1 through 4 tells us, A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get into Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. It goes on to tell us that because of the faith of his friends, Jesus healed this man, forgave him his sins, and he got up and walked out. Have you ever felt like this? Paralyzed by life? Needing someone to physically bring you to Jesus? In 2015, God laid it on my heart to start gathering women. He wanted me to create a God-centered community. He didn't ask me to just gather my friends. I had plenty of friends. But he wanted me to take those friendships deeper. He wanted me to open my home once a week, cook a meal for these women, Invite them and trust that God would move in our hearts. So, every week, I did that diligently for two years. I would cook a meal, invite, and trust whoever would show up that God would move in our lives. And he did. I looked forward to these nights. I had been craving this kind of community. And it was finally happening. Then life happened. My husband got a job in Aspen. So we packed up and moved to Basalt to be with him. Um, We were there for two years. I was lonely. I had just had a new baby. I was homeschooling our other two children. I left my community that God had asked me to build. Um, I was on the verge of depression and I was isolated. One night as we were getting close the end of the two years, the light at the end of the tunnel, God woke me up and asked me to pray for my neighbors. (laughs) I had no idea what this meant because we didn't even know where we were going to live upon returning to Junction, so I didn't know which neighbors to pray for. But I told my husband, and so we prayed for our neighbors. (sighs) Upon moving back, I was so excited to get my community back together. Like, this is what. I was craving. This is what I needed. But just as life had gone on for me, it had also gone on for those women as well. Some had moved away. Some had babies. uh, There was new jobs. Life happened. My community was not the same. And again, God told me to pray for my neighbors. That's what I did. By the grace of God, we were planted into a community Our new home was in a wonderful neighborhood. Um, We got placed in a church that has community in the name. (laughs) In the shutdown of 2020, we moved my mom in with us. Um, And through that, our neighborhood really began to get to know one another. We had been placed in a community of God-loving families um, with friends for our children. I would trust multiple um, of these neighbors to just watch my kids, and I had never done that before with anybody but my mom. Um, and Memorial Day weekend of 2020, one of my very best friends from my childhood, third grade, came to visit us, and her and I had always talked about living next door to each other, having an island, raising our kids together. And on that visit, she went and um, walked through the for sale by owner house next door to ours. And before they headed back over the mountain that weekend, decided that they were going to buy the house next door. Pray for your neighbors. We were surrounded with a community, a God-loving, borrow a cup of sugar, walk in without knocking, break bread together, trust your kids with community. On January 23rd, 2021, I got a phone call. Have you ever gotten that phone call? We were celebrating my daughter's birthdays, and my sister called. My niece had been in a horrible accident. They got her pulse back, but she was unconscious. Three days later, my sweet niece passed away. Later that year, on Father's Day, I found out that my uncle had committed suicide. A couple months later, um, we watched our family dog get hit tragically outside our home. The blows just kept coming, one after the other after the other. Like, they had to be done, right? No. On May 20th of this year... Not even a full year and a half after my life got flip-turned upside down, my mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer. On May 22nd, she spoke her last words. And on May 30th, my mom got to go meet her creator and savior, her very best friend in the whole wide world jesus i had the pleasure of watching a woman that spent her entire life trying to make sure that everyone she came in contact with knew jesus and saw and met him through her a woman that was by no means perfect not even close but someone that took up his cross daily surrendered her life for his glory enter into the kingdom of heaven I always labeled my mom as an introvert. She even told me once, don't have a funeral for me. You'll be the only person that shows up. What I actually learned in the last week of her life is that she was anything but an introvert. For three plus days, I watched as person after person came through her doors to tell her goodbye. I got to hear countless stories of people that she had led to Christ or helped find their faith or restore their faith. I got to hear overflowing gratitude from people that she'd opened her home to at one point in their life. People she sold homes to but actually offered friendship and relationship. People thanking her for seeing them, believing in them, discipling them. Neighborhood kids sitting in her room and hanging out just so they could have one more moment with Yaya. Yaya. I got to witness a living memorial for my mom and it was beautiful because I got to experience her community. And I just want to tell you what community has looked like for me in the last almost two years of my life. When my niece passed away, it looked like a friend showing up to entertain a house full of slumber party girls so that I could be in prayer on my knees for my niece and sister. It looked like a friend coming straight over after her date night to sit with me and comfort me. Looked like those friends helping me pack a suitcase so I could take the next flight out early in the morning and wrap my daughter's birthday presents because I'm a huge procrastinator. It looked like me being able to go be with my sister on my daughter's ninth birthday because I knew that she would be taken care of and loved. It was my best friend from third grade throwing her a birthday party, cooking her favorite meal, making her her cupcakes, and giving her the love that I would have, because I couldn't be there. That same friend driving to Wyoming in the dead of winter with her four kiddos, in case I needed her... And I did. It was coming home to a clean house and a warm cooked meal two weeks later. It was constant prayer warriors. Real, tangible prayers. It was peace of mind that my family was okay at home so that I could be present with my sister. And I'll tell you what community looked like while my mom was dying. That same community that showed up a year and a half earlier Tragedy after tragedy showed up again. That same friend showed up at the hospital without being asked just to sit with me. Another friend called in sick to work so that she could be the nurse for my mom until hospice showed up. It was my siblings, spouses, and children being able to be together for over a week straight. A friend showing up to arrange countless bouquets of flowers so there was beauty surrounding us. It was prayer after prayer, a rotation of people sitting by my mom's bedside so that she was never alone. Some of them reading scripture to her for hours and praying over her. It was a meal train set up, and not just drop the meal at the door, it was the neighborhood bringing a meal and sitting down and enjoying the meal with me and my family. It was a neighborhood party organized for all the kids so that my mom could have her dying wish of hearing the kids play in the backyard one last time. The food and the ice cream were provided. The 75 foot slip and slide was set up. There was laughter in the air. The kids were having a blast. It was a pastor and his wife coming and praying over us and then sitting and staying and getting to know our family. It didn't stop there. In the months that have passed since her death, the community has continued. People keep showing up. They keep checking in. They keep praying over me and my family. They continue to take my kids on special dates and make sure they're okay. So I ask you, who is your community? Who are your prayer warriors? Not just a text message saying hashtag praying, Who's on their knees praying for you? Who's interceding for you when you don't have a prayer left inside of you, when the only noise you can muster is a lament cry? Who stops what they're doing when that call comes in, that you say you need prayer, and they actually stop and pray? Or better yet, who just shows up? Who is cutting a hole through your roof and lowering you to Jesus? Community just shows up. True community, God-centered, loving community shows up. At my lowest, most vulnerable, broken, paralyzed time in my life, I have a group of people picking me up and carrying me back to Jesus. the amount of gratitude that I have for this community is overwhelming. For the itch that God placed in my ears, all those, or in my heart, all those years earlier, to intentionally build that community, he didn't let it go because he knew I was going to need it. And he knew I wasn't going to be able to find my way back to Jesus on my own. So my hope and my prayer for you is that as you journey through this life, you recognize the importance of investing in one another, what it truly means to love one another, to continually seek, create, and have God-centered community the way God intended it and the way that he created it so that when life hits, because it will, there are people there for you, Cutting a hole in the roof and lowering you down to Jesus. Thank you, Shannon.
0: All right, so as we close here, here's the challenge. So I want to do two things. I want to I want to pray over you, because some of you have circumstances right now that you need to see. God move that you need to experience that peace that we've been talking about but then others in, of you in here I think um, the challenge would be like hearing that story that we closed with who who will you be that type of community for because that's where it really starts I mean community is on our name right And that takes going beyond just saying hi quickly at the door. It actually takes engaging. And so my challenge to you would be don't, don't stand back and wait for community and wish for community. Be that community. And I love what Riley started with, which was the reason we have thankfulness isn't always because the circumstance we're going through is amazing. (laughs) In fact, a lot of times it's not. The reason we have thankfulness is because of the hope we have in Jesus, that he saved us, that he gave us life, that his spirit indwells us, that his presence is with us, that he is always able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, more than we can imagine. That we have an eternal hope with him. That we know we will see those that we love in Christ again. And so in the midst of hardship, in the midst of pain, in the midst of circumstances that are difficult to walk on, we can rejoice in what we have in our Savior, in the salvation we have in him. So if you would, why don't you stand up right now? first, I just want to pray for you. Um, but I feel like we're supposed to give you an invitation. If if, if this is, um, maybe you haven't experienced the hope and the joy that is available in Jesus Christ. And I just want to invite you to, to respond to him in this moment. That maybe some of you... Um, That looks like putting your faith and trust in him for the first time. And so I just want to invite you to pray a prayer like this after me. Lord Jesus, I need you. I need your salvation. I need your life. I need your hope. But I know my sin separates me from you. And so I ask for your forgiveness. Welcome me into your family, into your kingdom. I want to have an eternal hope in you. I want to follow you with my life. Thank you. And Lord, for, for anyone else that's just in here experiencing a circumstance in their life where they're, um, they're struggling to find gratefulness, they're struggling to find joy right now. Holy Spirit, we just ask, would you move? That's, that's the inheritance we have as your children. peace that surpasses all understanding as we cast our cares on you. So would you just move in this place right now? Thank you for life. Thank you for salvation. Thank you that you are good, Lord, no matter what the circumstance. We love you. Just move in hearts and lives here this evening. Encourage, challenge, equip, bring peace.